0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Sports another But Sports with Kent Sterling for Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. Brought to you by the great people at Today's Dentistry, Dr. Mike O'Neill, the best dentist I've ever gone to. I've gone to him exclusively for the last 26 years. You know why? The culture of excellence at Today's Dentistry. Dr. Mike, great. Everybody there, great. Friendly, wonderful. Treat you like human beings. Call them. 317 849 2 The Pacers, they've got the Suns tonight in Phoenix. It's our chance to see Devin Booker. We only get two bites at that apple through the season against the Phoenix Suns. This is the one where we get to see them in Phoenix. DeAndre Ayton playing really, really well for Phoenix. So that game, 9 o'clock, Fox Sports Indiana. I think the Pacers will win out. And if they're going to lose one of these remaining three, they're going to lose tonight. They're going to beat Golden State. They're going to beat Portland. And they're going to come back here with a minimum of three wins. I think they get the fourth win. That win will be tonight against the Phoenix Suns. Last night, bad night for Butler. Bad night for Purdue. My God, Illinois just ran rough shot over Purdue at Mackey Arena. They win by a gob. It was a Purdue one-point lead at the end of the first half. Second half completely got away from the Boilermakers. The Illini outscored them 50-32 to 32 in that game. But the most disturbing thing about that game is all of a sudden now I like Brad Underwood. I've always known he was a terrific coach, but now I like him. I wrote about that at KentSterling.com, that Big Ten coaches are really, really likable. It used to be that we hated all Big Ten coaches other than Bob Knight, right? If you grew up an Indiana fan, like, you hated Lou Henson. You hated Bill Frieder, right? You, you hated all these guys. Eldon Miller you thought was a total stooge. Dr. Tom Davis, Dr. Tom Bounce Pass, everybody in Indiana mocked. Les Jepson playing at the top of the key was moronic. What kind of an idiot is this guy? Well, now what you've got, you've got Chris Holtman, one of the most likable guys in the world. Matt Painter, incredibly likable at Purdue. Brad Underwood now is likable. You know, Underwood, the thing that I like about Underwood is Alan Griffin got thrown out of the game last night for stopping on Sasha Stefanovich's chest. Right? Did it Purposely. And so Underwood, instead of raising hell and screaming about the kid being ejected, the referee said, hey, we're kicking him out. He looked at him and said, get the hell out of here. And that was that. He knew it was a just penalty for a bad act. And so, like, I I thought, oh, this is a guy. He's not trying to use the moment to get, like, an ESPN moment, right? He's not trying to use it to gain favor with the referees so he gets the next three calls because he just lost this kid. He just acknowledges, yep, right call, guy's gone, goodbye. Then Dan Dockich, who is the analyst on ESPNU last night for that game, does a little bit of an interview with Brad Underwood and says, "Uh, what would you be doing if you weren't coaching? He said, playing golf. "Eh, That's me too. I'd be doing that. If I weren't doing this, I'd be playing golf. Then he says, what are your favorite TV show and movies, or your favorite movie and TV show? He says, Caddyshack and Seinfeld. Ding and ding. How the hell can we hate a guy? How can we loathe an, an Illinois coach who shares those traits with us? I like him now. I don't want to mock him. The Big Ten coaches are all really likable guys for the most part. Fran McCaffrey I could do without Richard Petino too. But neither of their programs are really relevant to me as members of the Big Ten they're all kind of middle tier Minnesota and I Minnesota's always toward the bottom of the Big Ten and I was always there in the middle someplace so I don't give them a lot of thought if they were relevant we could invest a little bit of disgust in Patino and McCaffrey but because they're not relevant we we just kind of tolerate them we look the other way and look for for bigger foes to slay you know what I mean But there's Brad Underwood, and he's not one of them. Anyway, uh, that's going to drive me nuts for years because he's a hell of a coach, and he's going to be at Illinois for a long time unless somebody else swoops in and hires his ass. He and Archie Miller running those two programs, that's a good comp. We talked about that the other day. Comparing Archie Miller to Chris Mack or to Chris Holtman I don't think is valid because those cultures had already been built at Louisville and Ohio State, but Illinois was a complete mess. That was chaos when Underwood got, that, got there. Miller and Underwood hired during the same offseason into similar programs. Underwood, you got to say, is a little bit ahead of Miller, but we'll see tomorrow night as Indiana plays Michigan State down at Simon Scott Assembly Hall, whether that holds water or not. If Indiana can get a win against Michigan State, and I think they will, Then you start to look at Miller as a guy, and you say, okay, this is not entirely bad either. I think those two guys are on similar tracks. Let's talk about the Chicago Cubs. We're a couple of weeks away from spring training commencing. The Cubs, we got a lot of questions, and when we got questions about the Cubs, we turned to the great Evan Altman from CubsInsider.com.
2: All right, Evan, I know you went to the Cubs convention. Tell me the first thing that you learned that you think is most important for Cubs fans to know.
3: Oh boy. Um there wasn't a whole lot to uh to really learn unfortunately just because you know not much has really happened although you know I do think what we're seeing in, in a lot of what they talk about is that they're putting a lot of effort and it's kind of out of necessity if we talk about the baseball operations side. They are really making a legitimate effort as far as as late as this has come in the process, really beefing up the development structure. Um, I think more particularly on pitching, but we're looking at, and there were some new signings that kind of came out today. There were some that, that led into the convention. A lot of what we've seen is they're going for more high upside. You know, they had really been conservative when it came to the development process, you know, outside of these top guys that get these college bats, guys who can kind of get promoted quickly, get up to the majors. And they sort of did that same thing, but they, they went really conservative second and third round, got pitchers who were kind of, you know, low ceiling thought would be high floors. Clearly that hasn't developed, but if you look at some of the guys and, and and I really had a nice opportunity to talk to some of those top pitching prospects they've got, they have a lot of these guys who are more power pitchers who, you know, should be able to develop pretty quickly over the next couple of years. So, I think that was kind of the big takeaway. It wasn't like something they can't really screen, but there's a lot of trends to that, that that they are really putting a a much better focus on that because, you know, hey, in the next two years, a lot of these core players are going to be gone. A lot of the rotation in their bullpen already has. uh, We've seen them kind of attrit or, uh, you know, there there has been a loss due to attrition and there will continue to be. So now they're really having to lean on that farm system more heavily than before. And, uh, you know, it seems like there's some things in place that are making it work. But, you know, outside of that, it's kind of a message was sort of, you know, cross your fingers and, and hope this works.
2: Are the Cubs really going to become a franchise that brings guys up and, and nurses guys along and gets productivity out of the guys? And when they become expensive, they're going to be cast aside. I mean, it's almost like, and, and I know they spent about the tax threshold, so they're not the Kansas City Royals or the Oakland A's. But my God, do we really have to get so frugal that we would turn a guy like Chris Bryant loose?
3: You know, it, it looks that way. Although, you know, the Bryant thing is interesting because we're still waiting on the grievance. We're probably going to be waiting on it till at least the end of this week, if not the end of the uh, of the month. At which point, now you're looking at two weeks before spring training. Uh, you know, can you even make any moves at that point? Uh, but it's really an odd thing, and I, and I think you know Tom Ricketts has been pretty clear or pretty adamant I should say I don't I don't know that he's ever been clear but he's adamant that, <laughs> that yeah. they're, you know they're spending on the cuz he talked about the renovation budget and they budgeted like 300 million and it cost 740 um and and that my understanding is really just the the Wrigley stuff I don't know that it has anything to do with the other things that they built like the office building and the hotel and and whatever again splitting hairs, I guess, we're talking about three-quarters of a billion and, and you know, a billion and a half, but um, very adamant that it has not impacted the baseball budget. However, when, when you look at something, and, and he's talking about the luxury tax over and over, which, you know, I understand nobody likes, you know, it's, uh, like if you get a checking account and you get hit with an overdraft fee or something, like nobody, nobody likes to pay out money for nothing. Um, but at the same time, you know, if a normal person is hit with a single overdraft fee, Whatever that be, 20, 30 bucks, whatever. In the grand scheme, that's that's not actually a whole lot when you look at your whole year of spending. Similarly, the team that is pulling in tens and hundreds of millions of dollars and spending that much, uh, the, the bill that they had to pay last year for twenty nineteen was like seven point six million. And even if they had maintained that exact same payroll, right? Yeah. Which should be pretty easy, give them about another thirty. They'd only be paying about $10 million. So what's 10? What's there's no way you cannot. And, and that's why Tom Ricketts is never, and I know they don't like stock financials, he's never going to come out and say $10 million. He's going to say luxury tax. Right. Because that sounds bigger. Because if, if you say $10 million, you're saying, okay, so spread that over the entire 40-man roster and your entire baseball ops budget, and you're telling me $10 million is preventing you from going out and signing guys from going out? and and getting extensions done with some of these players. Um however, what does kind of make more sense is that if you are over in consecutive years, there's a much bigger risk of losing out on so if you're if you're paying into the to the luxury tax, you cannot receive any revenue sharing. Now the Cubs would be at a smaller percentage than teams like the Royals or the uh the Cardinals who are magically a small market somehow, which is foolish to me. But um the Cubs don't get any of that back at all nor do they get any rebates from Major League Baseball like credits due to what they've paid from teams that did go over. And so if things bake the way it looks like they are, we won't know this until the end of the season, that could be something that if the Cubs miss out on, maybe $20, $30 million, maybe more. And so you sort of you start put these things together and you look at what they've spent and you look at what Marquee Network clearly is not getting the traction they thought it would. There's not as much revenue there. I think it's just a matter of you know, and there's no other way to look at it. It seems like they just don't have the liquidity that they don't want to pay this extra because they either because they can't or it's a matter of principle or there's some other things at play because it's foolish that a guy like Chris Bryant, good looking MVP candidate, uh, doesn't, screw, you know, goes home and plays board games with his wife, about to be a dad, still only 26 years old. That is the guy that you you want to have on your team, right? You, you, what what are you possibly going to get in return for that? That's going to make up for what he brings, and, and so, so like a long winded way of saying there are there are things at play, and I think some miscalculations, and this is not just on ownership; this is on the front office as well. Um, although I, I, you know, then you go back and you wonder, well, would they have spent on someone like Tyler Chatwood had they known? that in the future the rug was sort of going to be pulled out from under them in a sense, um, you know, and, and they could say, well, we're, we're maintaining this high payroll. You are, and being at 200 and some million, the lower 200 million is still at the top portion of the league, but it also represents about a $30 million drop from last year, and you've signed literally zero guaranteed major league contracts this winter. So that doesn't make any sense. It would be one thing if every single one of the 25 is on the roster returned, but they haven't. They've lost a ton right. of the bullpen. Ben Zobris is gone. Other guys are out. You know, Hamill. It, it, yeah, it, it's it's so I, – I can't really wrap my head around it because we have what we need to compete. Like, no, you don't because you needed Ben Zobris last year. And, and Cole Hamels kind of fell apart uh, late, but he was their, their stud through the first half. You're telling me those guys go away? You freed up $34 million, $35 million between the two of them? And you're not replacing any of it like that something that it doesn't sit well and i i can't i have yet to find an argument for how it makes sense
2: and it really the thing that pisses me off is that they clearly have the liquidity to go ahead and build the hotel and buy the properties across sheffield and uh and waveland and they they had the liquidity to invest in infrastructure but not the liquidity to invest in the roster, at least commensurate to how I view their ticket prices, which are always top three. And I know that ticket prices aren't determined by expenses. They're determined upon or by how much people are willing to pay, but it still gripes me.
3: No, and, and, it, and it does. And I think, you know, well, the one thing Rickett had mentioned, and this was um, in, a, in an interview he did with Patrick Mooney of The Athletic, where, you know, he could discuss that directly, that, you know, all the all the renovations, all the other building projects, those were all financed, right? Right. So, so realistically, you could really say, okay, they didn't really have, you know, it's, it, I guess it's the difference between, you know, I might have no money in my checking account, but I can whip out the old credit card and go buy whatever I want. And it and, and that's sort of a sense here is you kind of wonder, okay, is the checking account bare and they're just spending on credit now? And he also talked, and we've seen this too, right? They've sold off minority shares in the ball club, Two other investors, Andrew Berlin, who owns uh, the South Bend Cubs, among other things, and is doing a, a ton of renovations there in South Bend, you know he's a, a partial owner. They sold some stake there. Um, you know they and they you know one thing that's kind of underreported. They also bought out uh, the remaining five percent share owned by the Tribune Company that they had to maintain as part of the leverage partnership. Which actually uh, the Tribune Company is, is owing something like seventy-three million dollars because they falsified different things and fudged a bunch of stuff on the sale to yeah. avoid taxes, which the IRS is not coming back and hitting them for. Um, and that's, that's the, I believe that's all on the Tribune Company and not on the Cubs, but it's still involved in the sale. So there's some shady stuff there. And, and so it it, does, it it feels as though, of course, the, the Ricketts are legitimate billionaires in terms of their, their net worth. And TD Ameritrade just sold for $26 billion. Uh, pure stock, though. So, again, not necessarily liquid. And I don't know what the rules of that are. It feels like there's sort of this nouveau riche, you know, where it's like the people that won the lottery yeah. and then they're spending all this stuff. And then, then all of a sudden, five years later, it's like, what do you mean I got to keep paying property taxes? And they don't have the money to pay for it because they spent it all on things. And, you know, again, far be it, I do not understand the finances of billionaires and I don't want to say this is what's going on, but there's a feel of that to where, they spent a ton and racked up debt for days and then were not left maybe with enough that they then they started thinking like, oh crap. Because again, go back to it. If you have to operate a professional baseball team that has and you mentioned it, ticket prices, if you look at the fan cost index, which takes into account, you know, the, the average cost, family four, go to a game, parking tickets, a couple sodas, a couple of hot dogs, um, the clubs are the highest. In in Major League Baseball, it's like three hundred seventy one dollars uh, average for a family, which is is crazy, right? It's higher than the Red Sox, it's higher than New York, and and so that's if you're going to charge that to me, right? And this is silly. You should have a payroll and a product that is commensurate with the cost that you were charging yes. for it, right? Right? Or else the the disparity there is going to fall apart. So. If that is the situation, and, and I'm, I'm with you on that, you know, I think people go, oh, they're paying the players money, now my ticket's going to go up. No, the ticket's going to go up because people are going to pay for them. Um, but the issue then is you cannot come back to us and say, we spent $750 billion or a million dollars to renovate. We're, we're uh, charging you 100 bucks a, a person every time you come in here, but we cannot afford $10 million extra million a in a payroll tax. But come on. That, that something about that doesn't fit. You can't come up with an extra 10 million bucks on top of this or an extra 20 or 30 or 40. It, it doesn't fit. And something just smells kind of fishy there.
2: And especially because the author of that formula is Tom Ricketts, who on my twit index is at about a billion. Like there, there is no bigger twit in Major League Baseball than Tom Ricketts. So it just bothers me that he keeps lying to us about things. Like I remember and I think it was in 14, at spring training, he said, this is a championship ball club that I, I'm looking at out here, or a potential division champion or, or a playoff team or whatever nonsense he was trying to advance for us. It, it just washed away any credibility I ever thought that the guy had. And I would have always been low on Tom Ricketts where it came to credibility. So there's that. Um, let's talk about the change in how this team is going to be managed both on the field and off with Dave Ross rather than Joe Madden. It sounds like they're going to be a little bit more discipline applied.
3: Yeah, that's definitely what it sounds like. And it's it's kind of, I think a lot of people, um, maybe too much so, and certainly I don't want to take anything away from Joe Madden, um, you know, because that that wouldn't be fair. I mean, his, his accomplishments were uh, were pretty obvious, but at the same time, I think we've talked about this before too. Um, there's a shelf life on these guys, and I and I, I think he yeah. passed his expiry as it was. Right, I, I totally agree with Ken Rosenthal uh, when he wrote a couple months ago that the Cubs wait a year too long. They should have fired Joe Madden after 18. Um, now they weren't going to do that for various reasons, but I was kind of over it. And it, and it clearly, and David Kaplan wrote recently, you know, someone from inside the organization was talking about how they got fat and happy and just completely uh very complacent. I kind of followed through on, on a few of those and looked at some areas where it was really obvious uh, that that was the case. And so, you know, David Ross comes in and, and, you know, let's think about the timeline, too. The Cubs overachieved in 15. They met all their expectations, even with the target on the back in 16, and then you know, got almost swept by the Dodgers and kind of fell apart there toward the end. Completely fell apart at the at the end of the eighteen season and same in 19. What did those first two seasons have in common with this season, David Ross? So you wonder about yeah. accountability and the lack of complacency and and how much of that was didn't change at all, or was he just never that guy? And they had enough of those internal leaders, outside like Dexter Fowler and some other guys like that who could police that clubhouse. And kind of keep guys on point. And, you know, Kyle Schwarber said something really interesting. He was on 670 to score on Saturday at Cubs convention. And and mentioned that specifically. There's going to be more structure. He said, David's going to come in here and, and command respect. More respect. He said, and then he had to come back. Not that Joe didn't. You know, but hold on. You know, you're coming in here. So basically what you're saying is Madden didn't command the respect of the players. There was no structure. Mark Loretta, the bench coach last year, after interviewing for the manager position, also went on 670 to score said game planning was lacking there wasn't enough structure to the practices you know having guys in their position player groups working out more the players themselves had to come out at the beginning of last season and we need more mandatory batting practice we need lineups to be set further in advance we yeah. they were they were crying out for structure and Madden just wasn't the guy to provide that so I think those are the things we're going to see and, and I mean think about it what happened with the team last year defense was poor base running was poor I don't care, you know, people, oh, they're professionals. They need to be able to get yeah, you still need to run through those drills. You still need to work on those things. You still have to have that structure in place and those those fundamentals need to still be worked on. You you don't just stop working on that stuff just because you've been in the game for five years. So um yeah, I, I think Ross is gonna bring a lot more of that with him and, and the guys he's got on his staff. I think there's gonna be a little bit more passion behind those things. Than just, you know, Joe Madden rolling out a batting practice drill from 1973 uh, that, that worked back then, you know.
2: <laughs> you know, it was, and it was the same guys. So you, you saw guys like Bryant and Rizzo, Schwarber to an, ex- uh, an extent, who were really good base runners in 2015 and 2016, become guys who created outs on the bases in 2018 and 2019. So it had to be something internal. The guys didn't forget how to play, or they weren't incapable of of making good decisions. They just became guys who maybe weren't held accountable for their lack of decision making. What about second base? Who's going to be our starting second base?
3: You know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. That, um, you know, talking at uh, sitting in on the on the down on the farm session was the one that closes the the convention on Sunday, and then. Um, that, I really like that one because by that point, there's not as many fans and the security doesn't care as much. So I can just walk up to the media scrum and they don't, they don't kick me out for having my, not my official. I just turn my pass around the other way so it just looks official and then (laughs) I can, I can join in and nobody cares. Uh, but, but Matt Dory, who's the, uh, the senior director of player development, so he, he essentially took over, you know, for, for anybody who's listening who cares about it. They moved Jason McCloud out of sort of that. That farm director from boss position into more player personnel and Matt Dory is essentially overseeing their entire farm system and development. So he talked about, you know, Horner as potentially being a leadoff hitter. Um, you know, and being that guy, a lot of people looked at that and said, oh, I don't know. It's on basis bad, but a lot of that was also a function of, Hey, this is an emergency call up. Hey kid, they're going to figure you out pretty quick if you let them. So use the A hack, the A swing, they call it, you know, the aggressive big swing swing early, don't let them get a book on you. Uh, and, and he was pretty successful with that, but he didn't walk very often. And you need that as a leadoff hitter. So it sounds like they really want him to work in AAA for a while to really be comfortable with those deep at-bats, grinding it out, as they said, with two strikes. They also want to try him out in center field, because we know that's kind of a position of need. So I, I would say that Horner will probably be up the team during the season at some point. But as things look right now, it's maybe a you know a three-headed monster or, or a two-headed monster, at least like David Bode. Uh, everybody's going to love hearing that Daniel Vizcalso is still on team. He's going to have to play somewhere. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Good
2: Lord. You know, Ian
3: Happ is probably going to get some time out there because I, I, I think Happ ends up in, in center field maybe as a starter and maybe a leadoff guy again just—I mean, without adding anyone, which they haven't, and they don't figure to at this point—you gotta again, you gotta dance with the girl that brung you. Uh, in, in that case, unless it's going to be Albert Almora, so I mean, what they do in center is going to largely determine what happens in second, uh, I think. But then eventually, I, I do believe you see Horner take that over. But uh, again, I think what they would like is to to let him marinate a little bit because he never should have been up with the team last year. All things considered, it was other injuries that caused it. And and I do think what they would like is to have him finish a little bit more of that development in order to come up and be that leadoff guy and be an everyday player uh, rather than having him try to learn that on the fly in Chicago. But uh, if he comes out and really just has a great spring and kind of makes it one of those things where he forces their hand, it could still be him. I, I really do think that position is in quite a bit of flux right now.
2: Here's what drives me nuts, and let's forget about 07 and 08 for a minute because I don't remember who was the leadoff hitter in those two years. But if you go back to 84 with Dernier, 89 with Walton, 03 with Lofton, um, and, and then Fowler in 15 and 16, the Cubs, when they've got a leadoff hitter who does his job correctly, they win games. They are really, really good. Historically, when they don't have that, they don't win games. I don't understand how this isn't a massive priority to go out. I mean, we got three hitters coming out of our ass. Can we get a leadoff hitter who can get to the top of the lineup and kind of set the set the table for the other guys? Because when you do, the Cubs win.
3: And it's it's really it's been such a weird the last few years here, where and Jed Hoyer himself admitted, you know, publicly at up there on stage that they are perplexed by. You know, again, these guys they put in there, and what's really weird is you can look at their numbers and the splits, like look at how bad Kyle Schwarber was as a leadoff hitter. Yeah. And then how good he was. And and you can see it. I mean, I've written about this a few times. You can look at his numbers and, and see almost visually see where his, you know, he was too passive and that led to a bunch of strikeouts and he started getting too aggressive and then he was, you know, making a lot of bad contact because just mentally he was all screwed up when he was in that leadoff role. And then you get him out of that. And he he has a great season outside of that. Even Jason Hayward, his overall numbers look horrible, but he was brutal as a leadoff. I'm mean, just, yeah. hor- and he said that in the past, that he doesn't like it. It's the weirdest thing, and nobody can really explain it, but some guys, you know, because, oh, you only lead off once, right? And that, that figures, okay, that's logical, <laughs> right? That's, <laughs> right. Uh, but, but there is something to that. Guys just can't. You know, you, you have to have someone who's, who does not change their approach mentally. Like, you should take a guy and he shouldn't be doing anything different. If he's a solid leadoff hitter, you'd put him in the two spot. He'd hit the same. you put him in seven. He'd hit the same. Uh, but the Cubs haven't been able to find that and they are legitimately perplexed by it. I think, again, knowing that they've got a lot outside of Anthony Rizzo, who seems to be the only one who can actually do well in that, I, I still think it'd be a great idea for them to try to move Chris Bryant up there. Um, you know, they don't have any other options because, again, you talk about a guy who can run well, who, who makes good contact, who walks a ton. Yeah, um, and and you know, you'd like him to be able to drive in some runs, and that's the problem. People look at his RBI numbers. Well, yeah, if you bat two and you've got crappy leadoff hitters in front of you all the time, of course your RBI numbers. He's essentially a leadoff hitter batting two because nobody's on in front of him. But um, you know, I, I again, that's where I go back to Horner. He's got the skills, high contact. He actually walked quite a bit in the minors. Doesn't strike out much, which is great. Runs really well. Um, and so he does a lot of the things you want from a leadoff hitter. Except, you know, he has not yet gotten to the point where he's comfortable grinding out those at-bats at a major league level. That's the other thing. I mean, how great is that to have a guy up there taking four, five, six, seven pitches and you just see his pitcher stuff right out of the gate. You know what he's working with. You know what this guy's on or off, you see a couple different looks, and that really helps the guys down the order, gives a lot of confidence. So uh, before they move him in there, he's the guy who, I, if they could pick up, say, Horner's going to be, we know he's going to be the leadoff hitter, and he's good to go. If you put him in there, I think that would be, if you, if you put true serum in him, I think that's what they would want. But I don't believe they're comfortable with that yet. So I do think it's going to continue to be a committee type of a deal that involves, you know, whomever fits the matchup that day. And Ross is just going to have to pencil those guys in based on who who they're going. To be. All right, let's talk about your daughter Addison because you were so generous,
2: uh, and, and it was it was so nice to see something on Twitter that wasn't you know filled with invective or anger, uh, something that was kind of life affirming. Your daughter Addison had some uh, some spinal issues, and she's gone through surgery, and it was very painful, and now she's kind of come through the other end on a lot of that stuff update us about how addison's doing
3: yeah so um things are are, are going fairly well yeah i guess she had um a, a dual stage spinal correction and fusion uh that at the, at the, by the time it's all said and done she's got uh, two titanium rods in it and 22 screws that were in there to. and it's still not straight but it, it's straighter and and really the goal was to Get her kind of her hips and her shoulders and her, and her ribs and everything sort of more aligned. So her, you know, head was all aligned as well. And, uh, still, still feeling some pain, but she's off the the major medication, um, today with Monday off from school. So today will be her second full day of this week. And uh, the first time so far in three weeks, she's gone to school for a full day, uh, two days in a row. So that's really good. We've got, um, taking her back out to the, to St. Louis for six weeks. I think it's actually seven weeks check up uh next week so we'll we'll find out more about that but it it's um it's re- it's really been cool because i do have you know a, a moderate platform there on social media and other ways and, and to just uh to to get feedback from a lot of people and and so i was out there at the convention and and you know that's kind of my my new you if you will and there's a lot of people who are there who, who know of me and and so to have that many people come up to me and just ask. That was the first thing they wanted to ask: was How's Addison doing? How's you know? How, how's this going? And um, and even had even had a couple players. Um, you know, primarily like some of the minor league guys that I've talked to and work with, just reach out um, and, and say some things like that and just just share well wishes has been um, really really cool. And I and I do want to thank like anybody who's out there. You know, we did a GoFundMe and, and raised some money as a result, and it and it ended up being so far and beyond. You know, my goal was, like, let's buy her some books and some games and some things we can then donate when she's done there at the hospital because she was there for about eight weeks, and uh, we didn't want to keep her busy. Uh, but the, the donations ended up being so far and, and, and beyond what we, what we ever could imagine. We were able to work with the hospital and, and buy something that, that, again, she was able to use during her time but that can then stay behind and help a lot of other families, even something as simple as an iPad for the recreational department. Um, the, the kids who are in halo traction, as Addison was, have to use these specialized retrofitted walkers that allow for this traction. There's a pulley system that's got weight that's attached to help stretch out the spine, and those things are not cheap, and, and they're also not necessities because they'll kind of, as, as you know, uh, you know, hospitals are sometimes, especially one like Shriners that operates on a lot of donations, they're going to kill things working uh, until they absolutely can't anymore, and so... Um, it was really cool. We were able to buy three new walkers for them and to see the reaction of the nurses that work in that ward that have to work with those things all the time when they heard they were getting three new walkers, um, like two of them were almost moved to tears. And, and so it was just neat to know Um there's a little six-year-old boy who got a halo and was going into traction. So we saw him, he was the first one to be able to use one of those new walkers. Um So to see that impact already, and that's, that's not a, a me thing or, or just my family, that was, the generosity of, of literally hundreds of people who are able to make that happen. And, and um, so it's really cool to, to be able to have that impact and we'll, you know, go back there on, on Tuesday and be able to see that. So um, that was, I think the biggest thing that keeps hitting me is when you can trying to use to use a Joe Madden phrase, to, to be a force multiplier um, yeah. it, like that was, it was really, really cool. And, and to just, like you said, have a lot of people kind of reach out and say, you know, that, I really makes you feel good. I love to see the updates. It's great to get on here and see the power, the positive power that social media can have. Um, you know, even though myself included, some of us can use it more negatively sometimes. So uh, it's it's been a really uh, inspirational journey here over the last few months.
2: That's phenomenal. And, and again, thanks for sharing it, because I know that sometimes you, not you, but people are, they think, oh, you know, this is. it's either personal to us or nobody really cares. This is our fight to wage. We don't need all these other people getting involved, but involving the other people actually does. In, in your case, and in the hospital's case, some tangible good. But it's also really good spiritually to be surrounded by all those good feelings.
3: It is, and it, I mean, part of it was, it was really you know selfishly. It was kind of cathartic because uh, you, you sort of share that stuff. Because there's some things that yeah. you know you don't you don't get outside much, and, but it was. It was really cool, and just to have like this outpouring of support. That I mean, there were stuff coming from Amazon and and different letters and cards coming in, and they were able to decorate the hospital room, and and then to see and it's you know, it's kind of fun that it was in St. Louis. They kept having all this Cub stuff show up, so that, <laughs> you know that kind of kind of made it nice. Um But but to to share with them, you know, here's why this is this is why she's getting all this stuff right, and and to be able to give that back and to kind of to sort of feel that and be a conduit for that. Cause you know, I, I think she's Addison's 13. So she's old enough to certainly grasp these things. But sometimes it's like, you know, Hey, your old man is, is talking on the phone to a radio station or typing up a, uh, an article or something. And, and you don't really see, and she doesn't care about what I write. She's not on there reading it or listening to any podcasts or, or things that I do, but there was a very, to have that outpouring was something that was very tangible to her, and I think kind of made her realize like oh this is this is kind of neat, like my dad's more than just some guy who you know spends half his day on a on a laptop so, uh, so that, was, <laughs> that was that was fun and she's you know she's thirteen, so she resents just about everything I do, so it's kind of nice for for this period, so i can i hopefully this gives me a little bit of a grace period until she gets old enough to again realize that that I am actually uh, pretty cool, so I don't know, we'll see.
0: That's Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com. If you're a Cubs fan, you have got to spend time at CubsInsider.com because Evan's got it locked and loaded, always. One of my favorite guys to talk to on my radio show. One of my favorite guys to talk to here. Thanks to Evan for spending some time with us. Pacers tonight against the Suns. Want to remind you that game 9 o'clock on Fox Sports Indiana and on the Emmis family of radio stations here locally in Indianapolis. Going to be a hell of a game, a lot of fun. Tomorrow night, Indiana hosts Michigan State. That game, we're going to learn some things about the Hoosiers. We're going to learn some things about Michigan State, too. Going to be all kinds of fun. Cannot wait for that game tomorrow night. Tomorrow morning, breakfast with Kent, bright and early, 8 o'clock on Facebook Live, and then at about 8.15 on Periscope Live. That's also accessible through my Twitter feed, at Kent Sterling. Want to remind you, oops, the art of learning from mistakes and adventures, available at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, goodreads.com, all over the place. Go to Amazon, buy the book. All you have to do is search me, Kent Sterling, up the yellow and red cover pops. Click on it, you can get the ebook, the audiobook, or the hardcover book. Buy them for your friends. This is wonderful toilet reading. If you're a guy, you know what you do on the toilet. You sit there, you either check your emails, you check your texts, you go on Twitter, or you read a book. Some of us read books. If you read a book or you uh, want to read on your iPhone, there Oops is in ebook fo- form. If you drive a lot, the audiobook is terrific. Each of the chapters, individual stories. And so you can pick it up, you can put it down without feeling like you're missing anything. Again, tomorrow morning, Breakfast with Kent. Join me, brought to you by the great people at Today's Dentistry.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?